if you'll take your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 4 again. This time we're going to look at verse 31 through the end of the chapter, verse number 44. Luke 4, 31 to 44. Last week, we noted that Jesus went to his hometown in Nazareth, where he attended the synagogue, read scripture, and then commented on that scripture. And that message that he gave there, uh, it that led to his rejection and being thrown out of town. Matthew and Mark place this incident later in their Gospels. We have that uh, very similar incident if it's not exactly the same in 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 Matthew chapter 13 and in Mark chapter 6. And then there's also a brief reference to it in John chapter 6 verse 42 which leads me to to believe that Mark here has it out of out of the chronological order of things because he has a particular reason to put it there showing his rejection there uh, of his own people, his own uh, family and friends in that town of Nazareth. Only Luke here has Jesus reading, however, from from Isaiah, Isaiah chapter sixty-one, verses one and two. And his reading of in in his reading of that uh, text there, he ended in the middle of of what we have as verse two, leaving off the day of the Lord's vengeance. These two things that are mentioned there in that second verse, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the Lord's, of the vengeance of our God. Both of these things. Notice, year and day. But both of these uh, pertain to the work of Messiah concerning the kingdom of God. So, the year of the Lord's favor here relates to this period, the Lord's favor, the, the time of grace. And it relates here to the, to the time between his first and his second coming, his parousia. This era is the era of the gospel and the gathering of the people of God to salvation as provided by Jesus in his ultimate resurrection excuse me, rejection, death, resurrection, and then being seated at the right hand of glory. Paul described this extended year, the year, as a time when Jesus reigns from heaven until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed, death. Then 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty-five and 26. At the end of, of this time, Jesus will return kingdom authority to the Father after destroying every rule, every authority, and power. Th just think about that. He's doing it now. Now listen carefully to this glorious truth. Jesus is reigning now. And he is accomplishing two kingdom objectives during this year of the Lord's favor or grace. 
his first objective is to visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name, according to Acts 15, 14. And then James, who was the pastor of the church of Jerusalem there, cited from Amos, the prophet Amos, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12 of Amos, where we read, I will build, rebuild the tent of David. Well, what is the tent of David? I believe that has, is a reference to the Messianic kingdom. God called David to be the king of Israel, to establish his kingdom on earth. And, but uh, Amos says, it has fallen. He is going to rebuild the tent of David that was fallen. And how? Why was it fallen? That was due to Israel's covenant unfaithfulness. And then he says, I will rebuild its ruins and will restore it. That is to its purpose, its original purpose for which God designed it. And that that was in the temple in the, in the, the old covenant era but it's in it's in the church in the new covenant era and what was the original intention we read that in Isaiah 56 verse 7 the and and when Jesus cleansed the temple he quoted this my house shall be a, a, a house of prayer for all nations a house of prayer for all nations And then it, there's a purpose clause. In order that the remnant or the rest, that is God's elect people, the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and and I think even, as I would translate that, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord. This was God's intention. And now the, uh, the Jewish leadership in Israel was standing against that purpose. Now the second kingdom objective was that Jesus would rule at God's right hand to prepare for the day of the Lord's vengeance. Not year this time, it's a day. Psalm 110 verses 1 and 2 predicted that time the Lord says to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool the Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter I believe that's his authority it's an authoritative directive rule in the midst of your enemies so, uh, our title this morning of the message, Authority and Power. Now, to bring that home to where we are today, things may, see, may look very bad on the world scene. As lawlessness abounds, as a two-tiered justice system has taken over our country and seems to be the enemy of right and righteousness. What previously brought us comfort and security 
is dissolving right before our eyes. However, beware, Luke 21, 26, beware fear and foreboding. Don't, don't get involved with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Doesn't seem like it right now, but they will be. They will be shaken. And why? Jesus is in control. And that's why the powers are shaken. Just before his final rejection and death, Jesus warned his followers in what we call the Olivet Discourse that things would get bad and worse as the year progressed. This year of God's grace. But he also gave encouragement. The one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. That's Matthew 24, 13 and 14. Everyone looks for signs. One of the things that, uh, is how Revelation is often misread and and uh, uh, Matthew chapters 24, 25, and 26 are often misread. As got the signs of the times. We're going to look for the signs of the times. Be careful. Everybody's looking for these signs that alert them to, the, to his end and return. In fact, the, the disciples asked, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And they're not careful to note that Jesus didn't give any signs. He gave none. In fact, Jesus made it clear that no one could know the exact time. We read there, You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. On verse 44. This year, the shaking of all things, I believe, pertains to the destroying of every rule and every authority and power controlled by the God of this world. Satan, uh, according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, he's the God of this world. Jesus beat him in the wilderness by not falling for his subtle temptations. And he will continue to do battle with him as he heals the sick, raises the dead, exercises demons, rescues sinners to life and righteousness. In his death, he would crush Satan's head permanently and finalize his doom. Satan is a defeated foe. And the day is coming when he will be thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophets will also be and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20, verse 10. So now the year of the Lord's favor is preparing for the day of, his, of the Lord's vengeance. And this day will be the final destruction of Satan and all that he has sought to accomplish in his rebellion against God. That will be the day Jesus returns in power and great glory. Luke 
chapter 21, verse 27. That will be the day of judgment when the last enemy death is defeated by the resurrection of all who are in the grave. That will be the day when King Jesus will say to all that are his, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Matthew 25, verse 34. Therefore, here's the word for us, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Luke 21, 28. Now that brings us to this. Say, what has it got to do with this message? Well, listen. <laughs> listen, here I'm going to explain this. Chapter 4 of Luke here closes with these words. Listen, these are 40, verses 42 to 44. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, I believe, to pray. And the people sought him and came, uh, sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. That's the people of the Capernaum. And I'll explain why here in a minute. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I'm going to, I'll explain that, that final verse here in a minute too. So to accomplish this purpose, what's his purpose? To preach the good news of the kingdom of God. This, the world is already controlled by, the, by Satan and his kingdom. The kingdoms of this world are in his power. He offered them to Jesus in the temptation. All these are mine. And I'm offering them to you. If you'll just worship me. But Christ's purpose was to bring those kingdoms back under God's authority. The authority of the Father. And to accomplish this, he's going to demonstrate supernatural authority and power, and thus the title of our message. Jesus began his ministry in Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Luke recorded his first rejection in his hometown, which, uh, which we preached about last week. And from here, he moved his mother and family to Capernaum on the coast of the Sea of Galilee. It says he went down there and because that's all hilly, very hilly area there on the west side of the Jordan River. Uh, in fact, Nazareth itself is nestled in the foothills there of, of that ridge that runs down through there. And so he goes, he travels up onto that ridge and then he has to come down into the city of, of Capernaum. His reception, however, at, in Capernaum was, was clearly different than that in Nazareth. And here again, he taught in their synagogues. And we read, they, the people who were attending the, the synagogue service, were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. 
They were astonished in Nazareth too until he told them the truth, a truth that they didn't like. That's verse 32. And so these are the same people then who later sought him out and would have kept him from leaving them according to verse 42. What was Jesus' response? He said, I have to preach the good news of, God, of the kingdom of God to other towns. I, I'm sorry, I can't just stay here. I've got to go and preach this message. And what was his message? It was that the kingdom of God had come. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, we read, The time is fulfilled. This is Jesus. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here now. Repent and believe the gospel. So how did his authority over demons then, and this is because we're going to see the first incident here of his uh, casting out of a demon in, a, in our passage. The question here is, what does this have to do with his kingdom proclamation? And I... There's some things about this that maybe you haven't fully thought through or have been aware of, and let me explain them to you. But uh, this, this casting out of the demon will demonstrate what Luke here has recorded in the passage before us, particularly the miracles, his authority over the demons, all point to the fact that Jesus is bringing has, has brought the kingdom into the world. He is the king. And he is reigning. So we read there in Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. If it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out devils or demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Here's a clear sign that Jesus kingdom was there because he is going up against he's going to do battle with Satan and his kingdom the incident that uh, we're there in Matthew 12 28 that I just cited there the incident here recorded in in Matthew 12 the Pharisees were reacting to the people who were amazed and asked when uh, he cast out a devil and asking, can this be the son of David? Notice, the son of David, the Messiah. That's verse 23 there of Matthew 12. And this, and this was their reaction when Jesus restored a man who was both deaf and blind because of demonic possession. The Pharisees, however, drew a different conclusion according to the plan of God. They didn't see it as from God. They saw it as from Beelzebul, the prince of devils. And Jesus responded to them, a house divided against itself will not stand. I'm, I'm obviously not doing this from the prince of devils because that would only divide his house. And a house divided can't stand. And he, 
I think the implication is you guys better figure this out too. <laughs> and then he said, and listen, he argued then that he came to bind the strong man and plunder his house. That's why I'm here. I'm here to bind the strong man and to plunder his house. That's verse 29. Then he added, Whoever is not with me is against me. Are we plundering Satan's house? <laughs> or are we helping him keep it together? He who is not with me is against me. And whoever does not gather with me scatters. And he was speaking there to the religious leaders of the Jews. Now, before we actually look at the story there in the verses, verses 33 and following, uh, note this in the text here uh, of Jesus' power and authority in Capernaum. We need to examine the last verse, verse 44. I mentioned I was going to point that out. He was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. I don't know if you caught that. But why would Luke say Judea when it's clear that Jesus was ministering in Galilee at that time? Was he suggesting that uh, he also went back to, to Judea? Well, that's kind of really out of place. Why would Luke suddenly speak of Jesus preaching in the synagogues of Judea? And now if you've got if you notice in your the footnotes in your Bible, and most Bibles have this, that some manuscripts read Galilee. That's because early copyists of the New Testament seem to have welcomed this alternative because of its conformity with Mark one thirty nine and Matthew four twenty three, which state that he was preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Another variation notes that the Greek here may be understood as the land of the Jews. Judea, the land of the Jews. The word land traditionally applied to all of Palestine since that was the promised land. And the home of the Jews. Although the designation, and let me point this out, the designation Jew originally referred to only those who were of the tribe of Judah. However, after the return from the Babylonian captivity, that term began to be used of any who were left in that area who were Jewish or who were Israeli. And as it is today, any it's associated with all descendants of Abraham. And so it is as we say today. But here's, here's my, I'm going to give you my take on this. In my opinion, Luke's point here is theological, not geographical. And this Greek word that's translated Judea here may also be translated Jewry. J-E-W-R-Y, Jewry. As uh, 
I think it should be here in Luke chapter 23 and verse 5 where the rulers were accusing Jesus before Pilate. And this is what they said here in, in that verse. He stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea or Jewry from Galilee even to this place. You see that? You see that? He stirs up the people teaching throughout all Jewry. And then he then they define it from Galilee even to this place, Jerusalem. The point here that Luke made is that Jesus went to the synagogues because the synagogues were the gathering places of the Jewish people. And it was to them that he first preached the gospel of the kingdom. To the Jew first, and then to the Greek, or to the Gentile. However, even then, Gentiles were being drawn. As we, as we read there in Capernaum, in verse 44, it says he was preaching in the synagogue. So this is how I think it should read. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, this is how it should read. In verse 44, as he was preaching in the synagogues of the Jews. To, it was to whom he preached, not where he preached. So now let's get into this issue here of the demon, the unclean demon. Luke contrasts his reception in Capernaum with that of his rejection in Nazareth. The people of his hometown rejected him based on their false perceptions of what they thought they knew about Jesus or the Messiah. He deliberately refused to perform the supernatural signs that identified him as the Messiah in their midst because of the, he knew their hearts and their unbelief, their hardness. And when he confronted them with his purpose to bring light to the Gentiles and include them in his kingdom, they became very angry and sought to kill him. The people of Capernaum, however, were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Verse 32. They, never, they had never seen authority like this before, and they were struck with pure amazement. This amazement was heightened when the demon-possessed man spoke out in the synagogue service. Now think about that. Demon possession is rarely mentioned in the Old Testament. It's, in fact, it's never mentioned, demon possession. Demons themselves are only mentioned three times. And 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 in every occasion where they are mentioned, it is in association with worship. Matthew, or excuse me, Psalm one hundred six verse thirty seven reads: "They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons." But there's no reference at all of casting out devils anywhere in the Old Testament. Suddenly Jesus comes and we have him casting out devils. Isn't that interesting? And then to, 
Further that, read your New Testament. Uh, yes, the apostles did, did some of that. But it becomes extremely rare after this. Extremely rare. There is not one place in the New Testament where believers are taught how to recognize demon-possessed people and how to deal with them. Not one! Rarely mentioned in the Old Testament, rarely mentioned in the rest of the New Testament, only in the life and ministry of Jesus. However, the Old Testament does reveal that they were worshipped even by Israel whom God redeemed from Egypt. And, it, and so we read there in, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 17. They, referring to the Jews who were delivered out of Egypt, brought into the promised land, or to, to be, they haven't yet got there, but we read there, they sacrificed to demons that, are, that were no gods. Kind of more of a prophetic statement there. And speaking of food offered to idols, too, Paul warned believers over the issue of eating meat offered, eating meats in this regard. What pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? Paul asks. 1 Corinthians 10, 20-22. And again, in writing to Timothy, Paul warned, Now the Spirit expressly says, that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. I thought about those two young ladies who got visions and dreams from God that Jesus was going to return on the 23rd of September. 1 Timothy chapter 4, that's verse 1. Are we seeing this in our day? With all the lying, false teaching, the atheism, evolutionary theory, abortions, and child trafficking? People, whether conscious or not, serve demons if they are not devoted children of the kingdom of God. That's why Paul I mean, it's why the whole New Testament says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And by the way, I think we're going to hear more and more about aliens and visitors from outer space. UFOs. Satan's mission is to distract from the kingdom war that's, go that's being waged among the nations. So be careful these are demon manifestations also. So significantly, Jesus then was confronted by demon activity. Why? Satan's not going to leave him alone. 
This is kingdom warfare. So right here as he begins his public ministry, boom, he's confronted with demons. Luke is careful to show this as he introduced his preaching in Galilee, announcing that the good, the good news of the kingdom. That Verse 43, what Jesus proclaimed then signaled his attack on the forces of evil. The centrality of the kingdom was the heart of the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. The kingdom of God was attacking the gates of hell. It is, is it any wonder then that the forces of hell should strike back? But even in this, Jesus demonstrated his absolute authority over them. So let's notice that. Verses 33 to 35, in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. He cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The idea is now. I, would, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him. Notice, Jesus rebuked him. He didn't say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> he rebuked him. And said, be, uh, be silent. Come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. Three things need to be observed here. First, this demon-possessed man was Jewish and attending the synagogue service. Was that an accident? Two, notice that the demon began by mocking Jesus. Ha! What have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth. You got rejected there. You're going to get rejected here too. Jesus of Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? He's mocking him. Calling attention to, this, to his rejection and implying that he's going to face the same rejection in Capernaum. He was engaging Jesus in his demonic warfare. How would Jesus deal with him? He said, are you come to destroy us? In other words, are you going to get rid of me right now? He knew the will of God. He knew the plan of God. No, he's not going to destroy him right now. That's all of the demons feared the same thing. Have you come to destroy us? We know we're going to have to meet you in the end on that day of God's vengeance where we'll even then be judged and destroyed. But that, see, in a sense, is kind of like a temptation because he was... He would then be premature in the manner and out of the plan of God. 
And this demon was not alone either. Notice the plural. Us. To destroy us. So you can bring in your kingdom. And he finished the confrontation with, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. And I believe here Luke is demonstrating here another contrast. He's deliberately said that this demon was was an unclean spirit. An unholy spirit. This was an accusation identifying Jesus as the enemy by contrasting holy with unholy. And Jesus rebuked him. Be silent and come out of him. This command revealed Jesus' authority. Although there were no Old Testament prophecies, there's not a single Old Testament prophecy that Messiah would have power over evil spirits. Prophecy that he would heal the sick, raise the dead, but nothing that he would cast out devils. The silence of Scripture ought to warn and inform the church to beware of obsession with demons. Jesus never went out looking for them. He never held a deliverance meeting. However, wherever he went, the demons got restless and exposed themselves. And nowhere in Scripture are believers told to search search for demons and pray against them. We are to teach and share the Word of God, and in so doing, demons will, or may, surface. They may not necessarily do so physically or tangibly, but their activity will be evident. So what are we to do? Figure out some way to, you know, get spiritually prepared to deal with these demons? Uh Uh-uh. We have a very simple directive from James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves to God... Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We live under the protection and authority of Jesus. We are a kingdom of God citizens. We must not be chasing after devils. And our emphasis must remain on the person and the work and the nature of of Jesus Christ, our King and Lord. So that brings me to ask this question, what are demons? They're not fallen angels. They're the disembodied spirits of the offspring of angels and women as described in Genesis chapter 6. And since they are abnormalities in God's created order, when they die... These spirits have no place to go. So they wander the earth seeking bodies to possess. They remain servants of Satan and form his army on the earth. 
And they're responsible for so much of the idolatry that's practiced among the heathen. And since the flood, they, they have also great influence over governments and profess Christianity. Hence the warnings of Scripture. However, the day is coming when, as they fear, Jesus will destroy them. So that brings me to, to this. Again, Luke uses this encounter to demonstrate Jesus' great power and authority. Verse 32 reveals that those who witnessed this event in their synagogue were astonished at his teaching for his word. They recognized his word possessed authority. And again, they, the witnesses of, of, in the synagogue, were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. It says reports. Earlier when the term report is used, it's the word fame, fame, from which we get our English word fame. This word, however, is a different word. It's just a report. Something about him. This authority then here was further manifest in the in the next incidents. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here. But the first occurs when Jesus enters Simon Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law is sick with a fever. And they appeal to Jesus to help her. And he rebuked her fever. He just rebuked it. And it left, just like he rebuked the demon, showing his power and authority. He can rebuke demons, he can rebuke fevers, he can rebuke death itself. And it left her. And that enabled her to get up and to serve him. You know, I, you can't attribute everything to, de to Satan, but sickness and, and disease and suffering are all products of, of Satan's kingdom. And they're going to be gone forever in the, in the kingdom of God when there is a new heaven and a new earth. And, and I just want a little aside here. If Peter was the first pope, how is it that he had a mother-in-law? <laughs> Popes are not supposed to be married. No, their first pope had a wife. Probably had children too. And he had a mother-in-law. Who wants to have a mother-in-law and not a wife? Uh, and, uh, and I say, no wonder the Roman church does not want parishioners to read the Bible. If they did, they would learn that Mary needed a Savior and that praying to her would do them no good. David also learned that a celibate clergy is a man-made invention and probably has resulted in awful moral sins and crime. 
But now, the next thing we read is, when the sun was setting, and all those who had uh, had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And the idea is all. They all got healed. Nobody could... No, there was none of them uh, that were turned away because they lacked faith. See, that's another error. And again, demons revealed themselves to Jesus because it says he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ, the Messiah, the ruler of the kingdom of God. That's verse 41. Thus, Luke concludes his introduction to Jesus' ministry with the declaration, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. For I was sent for this purpose. This work continues and has continued over the last 2,000 years and will continue until he comes again. So let me ask you, whose kingdom do you serve? You say, I'm a believer. Yeah, I, there's an awful lot of believers, true believers, that are busy serving the kingdom of Satan. They've been distracted from the kingdom of God and they're so interested in the kingdom of this world. The one controlled by the God of this world. There's only two kingdoms. The one controlled by the God of this world and the kingdom of our God who is ruled by Jesus Christ. And as Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather scatters. Father, thank you for the word. Lord, we thank you for the kingdom that you have brought in through Jesus Christ. We're thankful that we're a part of that kingdom. And Lord, we know that we struggle in this life waiting for the coming of Jesus Christ when we too shall be changed. Our vile bodies made like unto his body when we will be free forever from sin and temptation, from sickness, from death, from sorrow, from sadness. Lord, I pray that you would enable your people now to work for the kingdom, be citizens of the kingdom, serve the, our King, the Lord Jesus, who is ruling and reigning. Father, we want to trust you, for we know that even though sometimes it doesn't look like it, your kingdom is here. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.